When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Like, I don't make the sunrise and the sunsets. That's just how, how it is. You need a World Cup medal to even be considered. Yeah, guys, sorry. This slightly sexier voice is, of course, the voice of half folk, not Daniel. Not Danny T. Danny T is currently um, disengaged. He is just recovering from a bout of flu. So it's going to be your two favorite amigos, myself, Half Up, and. Hello, everyone. It's me, Carl Anker. Yep. So, again, so this week we're going to be doing a slightly different format because we would like to refresh things. So don't be thrown off guard if it's not the same kind of flow that you're used to from our other previous 78 episodes. So, Carl, take it away. Let's let us guide our viewers through this week's Talking Tactics Smackdown. I'd love to do that, but let's do a little bit of housekeeping first. Okay. Um, welcome back, everyone, to Talking Tactics. This is episode 79. Thank you for listening all the time. Um, remember, everyone, you can follow us on SoundCloud. You can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcast normally. Follow us on Twitter. We are at Talking Tactics. You can find us on Facebook. That is at Talking Tactics, we're a little bit small there, so you have to go deep in the granular stuff. Uh, we're on Instagram as well, Talking Tactics as well. We do have an iTunes review, which I'm going to read out now, Uh-oh. which is from someone called uh, Ham. Is, is it five stars? It's a five star review. It's a five star review. It's from okay. Hand Sandwich, sandwiched with a dollar sign. So thank you for sending your review in. It goes, Great show, however. Oh, dot, dot, dot. I love the show and the dynamic between the three hosts. However, for everyone's sanity, please do not, and do not is in all caps, let Have Hope support Chelsea again. If you think he is stubborn and provoking with his views now, you have no idea. Chelsea fan Have Hope is a force that needs to be kept caged. So yeah, someone seems <laughs> to have... Uh, you know what? I, th- I, I think I know who that might be. It's I Again, I may be wrong, but I think that's an old school friend who I've known since I was 14. Mm-hmm. So that could be somebody who I've known since I was, I was 14 and who literally, we were pretty much in the same classes together from 14 till 
I'd say like 16, 17. And we hung out a lot. So literally, I've known him like really well since I was 14 years old. So this guy knows me very well. So he knew the very obnoxious, arrogant, loud-mouthed, rude 14, 15, 16-year-old um, half-hope who pretty much got on people's nerves because of my love for Chelsea. So, yeah, he knows he, basically he knows what he's talk, talking about. <laughs> That's interesting. If, if you can say you're arrogant and outspoken and rude hmm. uh, and that was you back in the day when you were really really bad then yeah I don't I don't want to see you as a Chelsea <laughs> fan um, like Hope has already described we're going to try something a little bit different basically whenever Dan isn't around one of us tends to go a bit weird with the format so I'm going to try something new today uh, basically this is the main reason we want to do this is we don't want to spend uh, half an hour talking about Arsenal or Chelsea which is what we often do so instead of that, what we're going to do instead is we're going to talk about one thing we've learned from the weekend's worth of fixtures, one from the top of the table and one from the bottom of the table. So it was a big week of football, weekend of football. We had the Merseyside derby, we had the Manchester derby. Um, everyone in the top six dropped points apart from Manchester City and Spurs, which I found particularly interesting. And Benteke might have ruined his career. Um, wow. So uh, I ask this to you right now. What was the big thing you learned from this weekend's worth of football? I learned that Mourinho is a prick. Wow, strong words. And if people follow me on Twitter, I made a huge announcement um, after the Manchester Derby that um, Half Hope and Mourinho have officially parted ways. So that was the, the biggest thing I learned was that Mourinho can't be defended anymore. Okay. Like, like, I mean, we'll go deeper into the Manchester Derby when we really peel away the um, onion skins of the Manchester Derby, tactical breakdown, all that kind of stuff. But just a little taste, a little precursor is we could be seeing the decline of Mourinho. Um, I, I want to welcome you to, to the anti-Mourinho brigade. I've been saying this for a couple of weeks now. Uh, yes, no, no, and also very quickly, I've got to say, Carl, I owe you an ap apology because I've been trying to defend Mourinho a lot, and every time you have insulted him, I've been saying no, no, no. So I do humbly apologize, half-heartedly, because again, maybe Mourinho will shock me. But as of right now, I've got to fu fully give you the apology of the air. You know, you may have been right with Mourinho because I'm sorry, I just can't defend him anymore. Well, I will take that apology. Uh, obviously, this is off the back of a. Uh, bizarre uh, Manchester derby, the 175th Manchester derby, I believe. Manchester City seemingly strolling to a 2-1 victory. Lukaku has an abject game. United finished the first half with 25% possession compared to Manchester City. There seemed to be no rhyme or reason as to what United were doing. Bear in mind, this is at Old Trafford as well. Uh, and Manchester City exploit two set-piece opportunities. Um, from Lukaku mistakes to get the winner. Uh, yeah, uh, my my big learning from this weekend, uh, which touches on a little bit from what you've described in the Manchester derby, is that I think my learning is Manchester City are going to break all records this season. I think they're going to. I think Manchester City now. This was particularly interesting because this week. Um, Arsenal dropped points with their one-one draw with Southampton, and then mm -hmm. Wenger said we weren't we weren't in the tight race to begin with, but we absolutely are no longer in the tight race now. Uh, Chelsea dropped points shockingly 
after their 1-0 loss to West Ham. And Antonio Conte said, that's the tight race done. You can't lose four games before Christmas. And after the 2-1 loss to Manchester City, Mr. Mourinho said, that's the tight race done as well. So this is before Christmas and every manager in the top six has conceded the league. Well, so, so, right so, 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 let me ask you this though very quickly because you, you were talking about breaking records. So I give you two questions. First question, will Man City get to 100 points? Second question, will they match Arsenal's invincible season? Uh, I don't think they'll get... I don't think they'll finish the season unbeaten. I will. I do think they'll fi- they will break a points record. Um, so you know, of all the hype and bust we've got about the invincible season, Mr. Mourinho's second season in charge of Chelsea has the points record in the Premier League, finishing the season with ninety five points. I think City are definitely going to break the hundred goals record oh, yeah. scored, yeah. and I think they're going to get finished with 95, 96, 97 points. Uh, there's that wonderful stat that came up from Opta, basically saying after the Manche- after the victory in the derby, if Manchester City stopped playing all of their games, they would have finished eighth last season. Yeah. They've already finished eighth for last season based on their point total right now. They can stop playing and they would finish in the top half of the Premier League. This is a run of 14 games. Oh my God, that unbeaten, is insane. Uh, which takes a new, which is a new record, which is taken off Arsenal. Um, and the thing about the derby was it was so, so much a foregone conclusion. Uh, like David Silva has now proven that he might be one of the best players to ever play in the Premier League. Okay, was... okay, no, no, no. Cecil, I need to stop you there because this is something that we may need to debate because now David Silva, are you going to put him on Thierry Henry's level or Eric Cantona's level? I'll, I'll most definitely put him on Eric Cantona's level. Because Cantona's uh, impact on the Premier League was uh, a short and sharp one, I'd say. I'd say Cantona was a superb player and he helped take the Premier League to the next level in terms of, uh, you know, just what he did for the class of 92 and understanding how we should be looking at football and how we should, you know, Cantona was one of the very first players where you'd watch a game of football and he was playing passes that you couldn't see on the television. Um, and I, that reminds me a lot of what David Silva does. David Silva is yeah, supreme master of the ball. He can he can make passes that you can't see when you're watching on television. Uh, I can watch a highlight and know that Silva will get an assist and then I'll watch and not understand how he saw that pass. Uh, there was a bit near the end of the gate, the derby where he was being used as a false nine. And, you know, Silva's not the most athletic person. He's not the, he's not the fastest. He's not the strongest. And yet he was, he's a master of the ball is... Superb, and you can say the UK cost maybe 24 million when they bought him from Valencia. And, and, and also, just to quickly add, as well as like, this is I love, I don't know whether it's something that's it's hard to notice, but he really cares about the game, and it's mm. something that it's just a few interviews I've seen of him, just his actions on the pitch that you need to really look closely at. Like, you just see that though, the guy really cares, as in, I never really see him like walking around lazing about the guy really is shouting he's really going in there and he goes hard as like he really cares about winning every single game and i think that has to do with maybe he doesn't have it anymore but there was a chip on his shoulder because i think there was a time when he was left out of the spanish team and i think when spain was struggling he was sort of like sort of blamed as of not really being in with the passing movements and the tiki taka that they had but once he now proved himself you could just see that you know he had this edge that always happens to prove himself that no, I am as I am as good as this Spanish golden generation, and I shouldn't really be left out of the whole 
Barcelona Real Madrid fraternity. He, he, the, the way he looks after the ball and, and him and Kevin De Bruyne as as a, as a pivot is just, it doesn't matter if they're not the speediest or the strongest. When they can control the ball, left foot, right foot, uh, slide rule pass, no look pass, five yard pass, 35 edge of the uh, outside of the boot. It's unreal. Um, so, touching so, on with, so why does he think they can finish the, the season on unbeaten then? I, I think, I mean, take this with a pinch of salt because I'm not an Arsenal fan. But uh, the, the, a critique given to quite a lot of outsiders to the Invincible season was once it looked like Arsenal were going to finish the season unbeaten, they stopped playing certain games to win. They essentially went, oh, it's 1-1. We'll just shut up, shop, get the draw and leave rather than go, let's open up a bit, try and get the three points and then maybe risk losing and then ruin our unbeaten record. So I think I think Guardiola is more interested in playing quote unquote good football. I mean his formal football. And I don't think that formal football will allow them to play the sort of draws that you need to get to finish season unbeaten. I think mm. Manchester are, Manchester City are quite bad at playing for draws. This is why this is what makes made the derby so disappointing because City all City had to do in that derby was avoid defeat. So they could have very easily, if you were, uh, if Guardiola was a more pragmatic manager, he could have gone, let's go on, let's spoil, let's get 1-1, we're away from home, and that would be that. But Guardiola's like, no, we have to win, we have to play our game. Whereas United very much needed to win that game because they were 11 points behind. Uh, they're 11 points behind already, it's not Christmas yet, and the best way to... Uh, Turn the t- to get the tight race back on is to beat City both home and away. That's that's two six pointers right there. You win those games and you're right back in the tight race. So United came to that derby needing to win, and City came to that derby needing having to needing to avoid losing. And what you got was complete reversal. Considering this was played at Old Trafford, City absolutely bullied Manchester United. Uh, Patrick Mundo who goes, "How good were Manchester City at time wasting during a derby?" And I think. The, the thing you need to see was the last five minutes, maybe 85th minute, where Raheem Sterling's taking the ball in the corner flag and he's just holding it. And you've got Ashley Young and Ander Herrera trying to get the ball off him. And he's like, no, it's fine. And there goes, the moment Raheem Sterling looks like he's going to lose the ball, he just kicks the ball deliberately into Ashley Young's shins and it goes up for a throw in. It was supreme time wasting. And that is not the sort of performance you expect from the away team in a big derby to do when they're a goal up. Um... Yeah, uh, Pack Mouse asked, "Was was Mourinho the reason United lost the derby? Never in my life have I seen United play like the away team at Old Trafford." It was a combination of things. When I was previewing the the game, I said that Lukaku is trash, and he is trash. As of right now, he's playing like a complete and utter trash. And I said the best chance for United. Hang on, hang on. So, is Lukaku trash, or is he playing like trash? Okay, okay, now, let me fully qualify that statement. I always like to talk about the the, the now, because if we look at overall, Lukaku has the talent to be a very good striker. Not an elite striker, but a very good striker. But I always like to say, what have you done for me lately? What, how are you playing right now? So as of right now, Lukaku is trash. Okay. So United should have gone with Martial, yep. Rashford, Lingard, Mata, or Martial, um, Rashford. No, so yeah, Martial, Rashford, Mata. Mata had to start. That's your creative player. 
that is your playmaker. And there were many instances in which United had breakaways that if that ball was given to Mata, he plays the right pass to Rashford or to Martial, who can who both know how to control the ball and be effective with the ball in space. And who knows what United could have done. Lukaku for 90 minutes was totally useless. It was embarrassing watching him play. And the issue is that it's a combination of Lukaku and Mourinho. See, for Mourinho, he didn't, he didn't buy Martial. He bought Lukaku. Mm-hmm. And Mourinho finds it very hard to admit that I was wrong. By sobbing Lukaku, which he should have done, it means that the money you spent, the person that you vouched for, that you made this hoopla about, is was a, is a flop. That means you made a mis- mis- mistake. And Mourinho, because he's so arrogant and so proud, doesn't want to admit that he made a mistake. That's why Lukaku played the whole 90 minutes. And if you're a responsible manager... You, there are two things. Basically, there, there are three things you do whenever a striker is going through a rough patch. Let him play it out. If that doesn't work, you have to sob him. You tried. You've, you've been trying to, to play him out. He's still been playing like crap. Therefore, you have to sob him. <laughs> in that game, especially, you had to bring him off and bring on Mata in his place. But really, you should have actually started a bold move, a proper move, which would have actually sent volumes to Lukaku was, no, you drop him for this game. You drop him for this game. It's interesting you talk about Mata because if you look at what happened last week, you know, Mourinho goes to Emirates. He doesn't have Mata. He, Mkhitaryan's been dropped for the last four uh, squads and no one Mm. seems to be worrying about that. It is, you know, they are essentially a counter-attacking team when they play against the top six sides. They like to absorb pressure and hit you on the break. And... Matter really slows down that counter attack. No, it's not his fault. He, you know, yes, he can play the pass. But he's not a quick man. And when you look at the way United break, United prefer to break with the players running with the ball, with Lingard running with the ball, with Martial running with the ball, with Lukaku running with the ball, with his questionable first touch. Uh, and I think they're they're caught between two styles now. Yes, you know they were at disadvantage because Pog was not there to play those amazing mm. crossfield balls to 35 yards out but similarly uh, Manchester City didn't have Mendy they didn't have company company had to go off at half time as well it was very interesting at, at the end at full time where Pep Guardiola says he cannot trust Vincent Company's fitness so it looks like this might be in the Vincent Company in a full time role um, but that's pretty much all I want to talk about the Derby for, for right now apart from the tunnel for a car have you heard about this? Milk, 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 milk heard about milk. it Milk, uh, so milk. Going to report, <laughs> going to report, uh, in the uh, British press, it seems as if Manchester City were enjoying their victory and uh, with loud music, with loud music in the Old Trafford dressing room. And Mr. Mourinho walks into the changing room and says, Hello, gentlemen, could you please show some respect and not celebrate so hard? <laughs> to which Edison, the Manchester City goalkeeper who had a superb game, uh, had words for Mourinho in Portuguese, mm. which is notable, because as the great Nicolas Cage film Lord of War once said, always revert to your mother tongue during moments of agony and ecstasy. So if he's speaking in Portuguese to Mourinho, it means he's saying some vile stuff. You don't, oh, yeah. you don't switch to your mother tongue unless you want to cuss someone out. So those who have a disagreement, something happens and Edison or someone else either throws milk and or water over Mourinho, and then it all kicks off. 
apparently after this, Lukaku throws a water bottle at Art- that hits Arteta in the face and causes a causes Arteta to bleed from his eyebrow. Uh, and the police are involved as well. There's also reports that Gungan may have thrown a bottle at Mourinho also. Uh, so Pitchard City, at Pitchard City on Twitter asks, um, curious to know your thoughts on the City United dressing room bust up and whether or not Mourinho was right to allegedly enter the dressing room and tell them they were being disrespectful. And also, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller, big fan, Daniel Taluk wants to know, is throwing Milko Mourinho next-level disrespectful? <laughs> okay, now... Let's rewind the, the tape. So, bzzz, 2010. Semi-final. Second leg. Inter Milan Barcelona. Yep. What does Mourinho do at full-time? He runs all over the pitch in a new camp, pointing to the sky. Uh, he looks like he's giving glory to God. And uh, Victor Valdez is telling me he has to calm it down. Now, aren't those two situations pretty similar? Because for because for me, no, no, see now, now for me, like I thought that Mourinho was in his right to do that. Same thing as why Man City are in their right to do that as well. They just won the derby at Old Trafford. They should be screaming, jumping up and down, playing bloody Kendrick Lalamar, Lady Gaga, all that kind of stuff. Because that's what they should be doing. Because it's especially like just think of your the mindset of the players. It's a derby game. It's a big title game. It's Mourinho. There's there's so much stuff involved. And to come away as winners, you're going to be ecstatic. And for Mourinho doing that, you don't have that strong of a leg to stand on mm-hmm. because of what he did in 2010. This is an interesting one. I, th- I think 2010 is a is a not quite the nice parallel you want to make because 2010 is Mourinho very publicly celebrating on the new camp whereas Manchester City is privately celebrating within the changing room. Um, I think it's, it strikes a very interesting tact. I think Barney Rone, uh, who writes for The Guardian, raised an interesting point how Mourinho has all of a sudden become a figure who talks a lot about respect, especially when he loses a big game. So we've had this moment now, and we've also had after the 4-0 against Chelsea where Mourinho tells Conte to not celebrate so much. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. After four 0 and it seems as if Mourinho very much enjoyed giving it out, but you can't take it. If you compare his reaction in the four 0 where he's telling Conte to not celebrate so hard, to what happened where it, after the two 0 against Chelsea last season, where he's like slamming the badge and saying I'm the man, or if you compare this reaction after the the, the tunnel fight to what he did after the 1-0 victory over Tottenham Hotspur in the season mm. where he's going shh to the camera. Mourinho is very much a guy who can you can't he can't take it. He cannot take it if he's being seen to be made a mockery of. Um so my question to you now is do you think this is the beginning of the Mourinho meltdown? We have to see how this season unfolds because let's not mince any words this was a very heavy, heavy defeat. For, forget about it's been 5-1-6-1. That would have just been even worse. But the fact that you lost at home to your rival again. It wasn't even close. It, was, it wasn't even close. Eleven An 11-point 11 gap. For Mourinho now, it's like... You're going to be probably be seeing Mourinho at, at, at his worst. Because look... <laughs> 
remember, he's still going on about the whole under Herrera penalty thing. Which so, was not a penalty. Absolutely was, not. It's completely was because Herrera planted his foot there to try and go over. So I think you're going to be seeing Mourinho at his worst because I think this will really pain him. I remember Mourinho really bought into this whole Manchester United thing. He sees Alex Ferguson as like this, as like his his mentor almost. So to come in there and not be able to emulate what Ferguson has done, he's going to have to look for scapegoats, look for excuses because he's like, damn it, no, this is not how the narrative is supposed to go. I'm the special one. I'm supposed to come in enter Manchester United and continue Ferguson's legacy and maybe even take it to a higher level. I'm not supposed to be 11 points behind as early December. That's not how the narrative is supposed to go. So <laughs> you're going to be seeing Moreno at his worst. It's, it's, it's going to get worse. Manchester United play Bournemouth on Wednesday. Paul, United Rankcast, big friend of the podcast, has often said, if Mourinho turns up with a buzz cut haircut that he's cut himself, that's when football fans need to be worried because that, that's when the meltdown happens. Um, I said I was going to try this new format to stop us from talking about one football game for 20 minutes. We've done that anyway. So I hope, what is your big, uh, what is one thing you learned from this weekend's football from the bottom half of the football table? Well, I learned that um, two things. Don't, David Moyes may reclaim some respect that he, he lost, I believe. Because remember, he almost got a very good point against Man City. And he now followed it up with, you could say, a deserved victory over Chelsea, ending their title chances. I think you could see Moyes reclaim some respect by turning around the forces of West Ham. And for Palace, I still believe they're going to make it. Yeah? I, I still believe they're going to... like. Because Hodgson said that come May, that penalty miss could come and haunt them next May. Possibly, but I still believe that these guys are going to make it because I just believe that just, there's just too much quality in them that they will get those wins. They will get a back-to-back win. There's too much quality. Where is the quality? So you've got Zaha. Uh, what happens if he goes down? I still believe... What's that French guy's name? That French dude. Midfielder, attacking Young midfielder. Kabai. I still think the guy is quality. Benteke, I still believe in him. People, for me, okay, hot take. Benteke is better than Lukaku. That's my hot take. Benteke uh, is a better striker than, than Lukaku. That's a mighty big claim to give, especially after Benteke in the dying embers of a two-all draw between Palace and... Bournemouth? Yeah, between Palace and Bournemouth, takes the takes the ball for a penalty from the designated penalty kicker, and then weakly shoots it <laughs> straight at a uh, Begovic. Crystal Palace fans were fuming on Twitter, saying that if we go down by two points, that's on um, Benteke. Please bear in mind that Christian Benteke is their record signing, costing thirty-one million, um, and he's. I know that Dan, Danny T, is a Benteke defender, saying that Benteke's never been the same since he hurt his Achilles. Mm. And he says that Achilles injuries, we should be considering Achilles injuries are just as bad as ACL injuries going forward because you lose, you lose that first half inch of explosiveness when you're trying to play football, which is interesting. Uh, I subscribe to another theory, which is one that was made by some Liverpool coaches when he first signed to Liverpool, which essentially the psychological training 
uh, tests they do. So obviously they did this thing at Arsenal and they said to test how confident players are and apparently the highest you can score was a 10 and uh, Nicholas Bentner got an 11. So if Nicholas Bentner misses a shot, he generally believes it's not his fault. It's like the ball being wrong. Uh, and apparently Benteke is the complete opposite of that. The Benteke is very much a confidence player, needs an arm around the shoulder, very much needs to 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 like play his way into form. He needs to score one goal and then maybe we'll score two goals next week and then maybe score another goal after that. So when he goes through a dry slump, it's very, very hard to snap him out of it, which means he's not a good player if you are trying to win a title and he's not a good player if you're in the relegation zone. So I think this might be the end of Benteke. I think that he, he he may have already peaked already. Um, Chelsea, by the way, in that West Ham defeat, mm. it's all on N'Golo Kante. It, it's remarkable how much of Chelsea's system relies on N'Golo Kante to do everything. Because Kante doing everything in midfield allows Hazard to do everything in attack. Um, and Kante's been talking a lot about Transfer dealings, obviously, we know he wanted Lorente and we know he didn't want to sell Matic. Um, and they've been picked dry. I don't Lorente? Think... Conte really wanted Lorente at the start of the season and was, wow. furious, when, <laughs> and was furious when Lorente went to Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, and obviously, we know he didn't want to sell Nemanja Matic, at least not to, uh, especially to Manchester United, but Matic left. And then the replacements, Zappa Costa, Danny Drinkwater, uh, and Bakayoko aren't really hitting the things. Um, I will continue to defend Bakayoko. I think Bakayoko is a player who absolutely has had two major knee injuries and probably should not have been fit and playing professional football in December, let alone playing in the Chelsea victory over Tottenham Hotspur in September. So Chelsea look really, really bad. And they should probably you know, go all in on the Champions League. Which brings us to the oh, Champions God. League draw. That's a great segue, man. Because go all in, but then look who they have. <laughs> Which brings us to the Champions League draw. Uh, hang on, I'm going to get up the entire champion. The champion. So this this goes. This was recorded on Monday night. So by the time you listen to this, this will either be Tuesday morning or Tuesday day, where you guys are probably looking into the midweek fixtures. So shout out to any fans of. Burnley, Stoke, Palace, Watford, Huddersfield, or Chelsea. If you're fans of any of those clubs apart from Chelsea, thank you very much. I know we listen, we talk a lot about the top six. So if you're yeah, not, man, we, six, we love you all, man. We if you're not you a top all. six fan and you listen to Talking Tactics, then you must really like us. So thank you very much. Uh, I am going to get the Champions League draw right up right now. Uh, Hope, what is standing out as a, like a really good last 16 draw for you? It's all about PSG Real. That's, I mean, that is it. I mean, PSG Real Madrid is the game. That's the tempering's tie for you. Tell me more. Um, people will say that it's too early. But then the reality of the matter is that I like it. I like that it's, it's too early because people have been saying that, oh, PSG, are they the real deal? Neymar, is it the, the real dude? This is the game. So we don't even have to wait for it. This is PSG's test. This is the greatest test that PSG could ever have. And they didn't have to wait for a quarterfinal or a, sec- or a semifinal. They now have the greatest test ever. They're facing one of the favourites and the yep. defending champions. Yep, the two-time defending champions. Mm. Uh, it comes at a very interesting time because 
Real Madrid obviously started the season very slowly. Cristiano Ronaldo is having a glitch in his form. Like his expected goals and how many goals he's actually scored are wildly divergent. So expect Ronaldo to explode very, very soon. Gareth Bale is, seems to be permanently broken right now. Um, Benzema's been in and out of form right now. And with a lot of sales of the, I won't say fringe players, but the bench. So guys like Morata's gone. And, uh, you know, it looks as if Realm, this is the first real test for Zinedine Zidane because you can't just go, you, all right, you go figure it all out. Um, but they look to have turned the corner. Uh, similarly, PSG seemed to be an interesting spot. They dropped, they lost to Strasbourg last, a fortnight ago, 2-0. Mm. They turned it round again this weekend with a 3-1 victory. Mbappe is scoring a lovely goal in the counter-attack in the dying minutes into an open net. Uh, first legs in, in uh, the Bernabeu. Hope who's winning this tie? Um, it's maybe too early to say, but Real, I, I don't see PSG beating Real Madrid. I'm gonna go with the the team over the superstar talent. The most the the superstar talents are with PSG in Mbappe and Neymar, but mm-hmm. the better team if Modric dominates that midfield, which I think he will. I think Modric will own Verratti's family. <laughs> I just think that Real Madrid over those two legs will navigate. Um, let's go through this really, really quickly. So uh, Juventus uh, against Tottenham. Your first leg is at uh, Stadio del Api, I think, which is what we used to call the Juventus ground. Uh, oh, first no, no, no. It's, in it's, it's called the Juventus Stadium, isn't it? Yes, I, th- I was trying to get the Italian. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, the old one. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So is Juventus versus Tottenham. Uh, first legs in Turin. Who do you think is winning that? Um. Oh God, that's that's a tough one. I'm gonna have to say Juventus. All right. Any particular reason? Again, Tottenham can beat them, but I just think experience. Juventus will just it will, it will be very close. Juventus will just have that extra bit that can edge them. So Juventus have now crawled their way back into the Serie A title race. Um, they beat Napoli two weeks ago. They drew nil nil with Inter Milan, who's currently top. So the top three teams in Serie A are separated by perhaps by one, less one than point. point. Yeah. Um, so we have a proper tight race on in Serie A right now, which looks a lot of fun. Douglas Costa seems to have turned the corner. Very However, good. I'm going to go against you. I'm not going to think Tottenham's going to win this. I think Tottenham... Beats Juventus think, over two legs? Yeah, yeah, I think if Alderweireld and Victor Wanyama can get fit for these ties, I think Tottenham will win this. Uh, I don't know. I think, think Pochball, the high-pressing, tactical fouling, whirling dynamo thing can work but I think it's very important that Alder Viral is fit for one because that takes pressure off Eric Dyer and Alder mm. Viral's uh, long range passing is a great attacking asset and two they need Victor Wanyama which takes a lot because if they get Wanyama that takes a lot of pressure off Dembele and Wanyama sh- seek destroy give the ball to uh, Christian Eriksen at all costs mm. works very very well uh, they, no 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 they, they need if it fully fits him Tottenham for sure yep Tottenham have to be performing at their maximum, but then so do Juventus because Juventus again, similar to uh, Real Madrid, they've sold quite a few. Fr- they you know they lost quite a few fringe players. Uh, I think the loss of Dani Alves really really damaged them, which is really bizarre to say that losing a thirty four year old fullback can who's, damage the side. Who's still very good? Who plays like a twenty five year old still? So yeah, that's that's what uh, <coughs> allegedly <coughs> stuff can do to you. Uh, so I think Tottenham's going to win that tie. Uh, Manchester City are going to Switzerland to play FC Basel. Who do you think is winning that tie? 
what's the next fixture? Look, there City are in the quarterfinals. Next, next. All right. Uh, next. Liverpool are going to Porto. This is a this is a really interesting one. This is interesting. Out. So uh, much like last season. So last season's group stages were very very weird because we had five Spanish teams in the group. Um, of those five Spanish teams, only four got out of the group. But it's the first time we've had five nation five uh, football teams all from one nation get to the last sixteen. So because we've got five English teams on the last sixteen, that means they can't they can't play each other. And also you can't play the same team from your group in the last 16. So it's mm. caused this weird uh, distortion. So you've got Spurs fans going, oi, we've topped the group with the highest points total of everyone. And you've got Juve, whereas Liverpool topped the group, didn't do very well, and then managed to draw Porto. Not very fair. What do you think, Porto or Liverpool here? Liverpool will win, but Liverpool should be very careful in underestimating FC Porto. Yep, we haven't really talked about the, the Merseyside derby, but all I really want to say is, uh, poor Lovren. Jesus Christ, man! It was a penalty. Like, but what on earth is Lovren doing? Pushing what, it's, it's, it's like, why do you have what to is put? He doing? Don't give the referee any decisions to make because once you put your hand on a player, you should be experienced enough to know that that player is is looking to to go down. If the player goes down with you not touching him, then he gets booked for the diving. As soon as he felt that hand, he was like, boom, let me just try and trick the referee. It's, it's a game. You, you have to know the game. That's how the game works. I told, I told, you know, I mentioned this before, but Lovren's saying he takes seven painkillers to play a game of football. You should not be taking seven painkillers to play a league game of football unless no. you are uh, a star striker on a team that's trying to win the league or the defensive linchpin in a team. The only reason you should be taking painkillers to play a big game is if you're the best defender in that team or the best striker in that team and if you're playing like a Champions League semi-final and if Lovren's taking painkillers to play a game against Watford then you've got some serious problems yep. uh, McManaman said that Liverpool need to go back in for Virgil van Dijk in January the thing is I don't even think they need to get van Dijk I don't think they need to spend 70 million on one player I think they're much better making sure because when you're playing Dejan Lovren and Ragar Klavlin as your centre-back pairing, you're, you're asking for problems. Yeah. Um, I think for the most part, most part um, Klopp got the derby right. Uh, there were eyebrows raised when he started Solanke and Oxlade-Chamberlain and dropped Coutinho and Firmino. But for the first half, Liverpool looked fantastic. Mo Salah again with a fantastic goal. I'm running out of superlatives to describe... Uh, Mo Salah, he's just supreme. No, no, amazing season. Seven, I mean, having a fantastic season. Uh, yeah. Klopp keeps doing this. He keeps buying as close to Marco Royce you can get, and he keeps buying up. Like Mane, it was as close to Marco Royce as you could get, and he bought it and he put it into Liverpool, and it worked. And he went, "I'm gonna go buy another one that is pretty similar to Marco Royce in Salah." Um, the only disadvantage of what they have is that. Uh, neither Salah, neither Salah or Mane enjoy crossing the ball. So when Big Sam set his team up, he went, "All right, we'll just play a very narrow game. Our fullbacks will tuck in deep, and our centre backs know not to really stray outside the six-yard box because we know they don't whip any crosses in." Um, so when they eventually did go down to one-one, perhaps they should have changed the ball and played a bit more direct and told Oxlade Chamberlain to try whipping him some crosses. Um, but kudos to Big Sam. He's strategy worked out because you always have a fighting chance as long as Lovren's on the pitch and if Lovren's not on the pitch then Moreno's probably on the pitch uh, but that's Liverpool I still think they're going to win this tie because I think there's something about European football where teams just open up out a bit more and I think Liverpool will be 
will have a very fun quarterfinal uh, against someone else. Manchester- no, 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 Porto can be dangerous. But I, I think it's, it's Anfield. I think Porto will, are very good at home, but mm. away from home is, 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 is the issue. So Next up is Sevilla versus Manchester United. I said if Craig Shakespeare can take Leicester City past Sevilla, then Manchester United should be able to do this very easily. And that's all I really want to say about that. Yep. Um, we talked about Real Madrid versus PSG earlier. I think PSG might get this one. If PSG? Because, I think PSG will get past Real Madrid, if only because Unai Emery needs to win to save his job. Like, if Emery doesn't get this done, he's pretty much... No, no, but sort of, sort of the damn, like, La Liga, I don't think that's on the on the cards. So... If Zidane ah, doesn't do this, he may we, be sacked. We, we quietly have a tight race in La Liga now. You know, Barcelona dropped points last week. Uh, Valencia aren't going away. I think the gap between... I think Barcelona are four points ahead of Valencia and then another two points off Real Madrid. So it's six points. And this is before a Clasico has been kicked. So is it before a Clasico? Or have you already had a Clasico? No, no, no. We haven't had a, a Clasico yet. No. Yeah, so there's a six-point swing. And, you know, we haven't had a Clasico yet. So... I think something might happen. I think we have a we have a tiny tight race in Spain to come around. Uh, Shakhtar Donetsk versus Roma. Who do you think? This is going to be probably one of the most entertaining games. Like they look, they're going to be goals in both legs. And I've literally been swinging. At first, I said Roma, then I said Shakhtar, and now I'm still sticking with Shakhtar, but only just. It's going to probably be like four three. Or four four on aggregate, I think. I think it's gonna be. I think this is this is the time most likely to be decided by away goals. Yes, I think, yes. I think Rome is gonna get this one. Do you remember when Bayern's Champions League run in two thousand ten mm. to the final gets to Milan, where they, I think they won three of their knockout ties. They won their last sixteen tie and their quarter final tie against Manchester United on away goals. So, oh yeah, Fiorentina. Yeah. I think when Robin scored that goal against Fiorentina. Yeah, yeah. By, so by, I think Bayern are the last team in recent memory to have a really good sustained run in the knockout stages, thanks to the away goal rule. By mm. the way, I think the away goal is fantastic. And it Amazing. Um, I love that. One I love of the, the best rule. football, I mean, it's literally one of the best rules invented. Amazing rule. Amazing. Yeah, it's, it's kind of outdated now. I still think it's amazing. It should not be abolished. No way. Um, no way. Uh, Chelsea versus Barcelona. Who do you think is going to win this one? You see, Chelsea at full strength have this setup to beat Barcelona. But you know, people are making a mistake. If this was played against the Barcelona that we know of, and this was a Chelsea that was with John Terry, Ivanovic and so forth, Chelsea could win. But this is a very, this is probably the best defensive Barcelona I've ever seen. Defensively, they are, they are amazing. So they're very hard to beat. So it's a very robust, tougher team. So I just think because of that, because Chelsea still haven't really, are really as swaggy as they used to be, and I think they're still missing Diego Costa, and Costa would have been a very effective player against Barcelona. That's why I say Barcelona will take this. It's gonna be, it's gonna literally be like close. It'd be like two-one aggregate, something like that. So Barcelona will only just about edge it. You think Barcelona's gonna get it? great? Cool. Uh, Mohamed Butt, uh, former squawker, featured. Writer, uh, rest in peace, Squawker. Uh, has been is a Barcelona. Well, I don't know if he's a Barcelona fan, I'll call him a Lino Messi fan. He talks a lot about Valverde and Barcelona's changed to a 4 2 3 1 formation and basically says 
uh, it should not work, but Messi is godlike, so it works. Um, Suarez got back in the goals on Saturday in Barcelona's 2-1 victory over Osasuna? No, um, Villarreal. Over Villarreal, which was a really good 2-0 victory. Um, and if Suarez can start scoring again, you never know. I think Barcelona's got too much of Chelsea right now. However, one thing I really enjoyed was after the Champions League ties last week, the interviewer asked Eden Hazard, are you afraid of playing anyone in the last 16? He goes, yeah, but you know, we're Chelsea, come on. You know, we, we've won this title before. We're mm-hmm. Chelsea, we're big deals, we're the champions of England, which I really enjoyed. Um, something that I quite really like about Eden Hazard is that he never looks afraid. Oh, yeah. And this is a guy who gets routinely kicked and bullied and fouled all the time. He never looks afraid. So I'm just going to give this to Barcelona because I think Chelsea are far too reliant on N'Golo Kante. And I think Kante can be embarrassed by the midfield players in Barcelona's system. And of course, the final tie is Bayern Munich versus Besiktas. Come to Besiktas. Bang, bang, bang. Who do you think is winning that? Easy, easy peasy Japanese for Bayern Munich. Easy. easy. Yeah, easy. Like, but I think this will give them a few. I mean, the game in Turkey will be a bit raucous, but I think Bayernik should now should sort it out. They, 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 it right. shouldn't be too many so, issues. So those are your ties. Uh, we could get into Europa League ones, but I don't really want to. Okay. Uh, all I really care about in the Europa League is that Arsenal got a Swedish team whose name I would probably Ostersound Ostersound Station. Thank you. It's that's probably incorrect, but a better attempt than what I will say. Um, so, based on uh, your Champions League predictions, so you said Juve is going to beat Tottenham, City is going to beat Basel, Liverpool is going to beat Porto, United is going to beat Sevilla, Real Madrid is going to beat PSG, Roma is going to beat no Shakhtar is going to beat Roma, and Barca is going to beat Chelsea, and Bayern is going to beat Besiktas. Mm. Who's winning the Champions League? You can't ask me that, but I'll give you favorites. No nope, favorites. Nope. Who's going to win the Champions League right now? Do or die. Barcelona, <laughs> huge. Look, I just—I mean, again, it's going to change, but I just rather to say Barcelona. But there is there is no definitive team that I see going all the way because I just think it'll be stupid if Real Madrid win it three times in a row. That'll just be fl- bl- bl- bloody stupid. <laughs> I mean, it, come it, on. This is generally one of the most interesting Champions Leagues in a while. It is. It one, is one because there's five English teams all swinging about, and two because Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Bayern Munich are all ever so slightly weaker now. Which makes things a lot more interesting. Uh, Barcelona, Barcelona are old. Real Madrid are, have a small squad, and Bayern Munich are old and have a small squad. So that makes things interesting. Um, I'm beginning to think City's going to do it. I I forgot about that. I, and I knew there was a team I was forgetting about. Sorry. Only reason I think City won't win the Champions League is because they get too sucked into creating a, a, a legendary Premier League run, essentially. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm whispering Manchester City. Uh, something I'd also like to say is if anyone who works for Manchester City is hearing this, put all of your Champions League games for free on UK television because that's a great way to get neutral fans to care about Manchester City. Because, buddy, not many people are watching their Manchester City games. Oh. So I'll sort that out. <laughs> you mean in the empty stadiums oh well well no more on television um oh. so there, there were these rumors for a long long time about how certain news companies were unhappy with manchester united 
and Liverpool and Chelsea no longer being in the Champions League because it affected ratings. But now certain teams are back. It might be better. However, you know, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> uh, Boris Mason asks, uh, thoughts on the Champions League and Europa League draws? We've gone this in depth now, but Boris Mason would also like to know, could we see both competitions won by English clubs? No. Why is that? Arsenal are not winning the Europa League. Who's winning the Europa League? For me, I'm I'm looking at Lazio. Interesting. Like Chiro Immobile, if they can keep him fit. Like, I think the guy ha- is on 15, 16 goals or something. Like, I'm looking at him and I'm looking... There's another team, I forgot what it is, but I think definitely Lazio are definitely a team who I just think that, you know, that's a very tough team there. Nice, Lyon, you know, I just think these teams are just... Like, I don't, I don't see Arsenal beating them when whatever they, they if they face them, so... All right, well, that is the Champions League and we've talked a lot about the derby and we've talked a lot about the bottom of the table would you like to talk about anything else or should we go straight into questions 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 i'm gonna go through this really really quickly a1 adds first us hope uh do you think Mane is low-key salty that salah is getting the limelight no i don't think so i think when you look at Mane, and i could could just tell by someone's personality i think Mane is just happy you know playing football you know, he's now in a bigger club, a bigger platform now than he was at Southampton. So I think for him, he's like, look, man, I'm playing my, my football. I'm ex- I'm excited. People love me. Salah may be the guy with the most limelights, but people still see my contributions. So yeah, I don't think he's salty at all. Uh, there was a great bit in the derby just before half time where Mane's won the ball and he's gunning down towards goal and Salah is free. Solanke is free. And I'll say Chamberlain is free, and Salah could have, and Mane could have easily laid it off, and it would have been two 0 And he shot the ball, and he dragged it wide. And I think everyone on Liverpool Twitter and on the outside world was screaming at Mane, "What was he doing?" Um, and then when eventually they drew, it was very much a, "Oh, if, if Mane had scored, whatever." But I think I think Mane is enjoying his football. I think I've said this before: Salah playing on the right allows Mane to cut inside and shoot. Which is great. Um, so that's good. Uh, oh, A once also has another question, which is, what are your thoughts on uh, Claude Poole and what he's doing at Leicester at the moment? Will it be better than what he did at Southampton? Why is he starting young English players on like the previous two managers? Poole has always been one of those managers who he's decent. He ain't great, but he's decent. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I think he's not going to win anything with Leicester, but I think he can get them to be like much more res- respectable with his the experience that he has from the content and from Leon. But the thing with them is that if you now want to take a team to the next level, you've got to dip into your pocket. You have to dip into your pocket because let's say they need more quality. They need more options from the bench in order for them to be like, okay, let's not aim for 10th, 9th, 8th. But as of right now, I don't see them going above like a 13th or a 12th. You, got, you don't see them finishing in the top off the table? Let me think about the teams. Probably not to know. Be bear in mind, Everton were in the relegation zone and then they beat West Ham 4-0 and then they beat Huddersfield and then they went to 10th. So the moment they announced Big Sam was going to be their manager, they went from flirting with the relegation zone to being, being, being in the top half of the table. So something to be said about what Corpio is doing at Leicester is he makes his team very tactically 
decent. So uh, the great the great blueprint for what Puel does is what he did at Nice, where he basically turned Hatem Ben. He like helped Ben Arthur kick on, and I think instead of Ben Arthur, you've got Riyad Mahrez. And I think something that you're seeing in Leicester is not that Puel was a bad manager at Southampton, but just but uh, Southampton are terrible, absolutely terrible at scoring goals. Leicester's shooting figures, they're not really lucky or anything else. I think they're just, they're scoring goals in a better rate than what they were doing before because Puel is a very good, neat and tidy manager. And also, Leicester are better attackers than Southampton. I think Southampton haven't really recovered since they sold Graziano Pelle. Mm. Uh, Tom Victor, West Ham fan who's been on this podcast, once said, uh, the problem with Slava and Bilic at West Ham was the plan was give it to Payet and let him sort it out even after they sold Payet. Uh, the problem with Southampton right now is the plan is give it to Pele, even though Graziano Pele has left a long time ago. I think Paul's great. And I think what he's doing with Damari Gray, using him as a, a sort of inverted winger, is great because when Damari Gray gets going, he's quite electric. I will say it's particularly interesting what's going on with in- Ineacho Kalecci. Because mm. uh, I really thought that'd be a great signing, but it doesn't seem to be... No, working for no, the Leicester. Or... Ndidi is the guy, man. He's Ndidi is, is the is the man. Like he's literally one of Nigeria's main guys, and that's because of how good. He, I think, yeah, I think he, yeah, he he got man of the match for Leicester in the last game. So it just but shows. What's going on with Kalechi? I think it's a case of this was the, he should have Hoffenheim was on the cards. Mm-hmm. That was the move he had to make. Like when I heard Leicester City, I was like, uh, I this is not a really good fit. Hoffenheim, I just felt it would have been a better fit for him. Working under that young manager, that young team, that's very exciting, very open. I think he would have worked very well as like a number ten in that team. So that was the the place to go. And also Germany. Go to a different environment. You don't have to stay in England. Go to a whole different culture. But he chose to stay in England, he chose to go to Leicester, which I thought was not really a right fit. And also you can see he doesn't fit into the team with the way that the team plays and the players around him. It's like it just doesn't fit. Okay, talking or from one uh, misfiring striker to another, uh, Border Expander uh, asks, "What's happened to Belgian strikers? Are injuries to blame for Benteke's poor form?" Uh, we talked about this quite briefly about Benteke, about how Danny thinks it's the Achilles injury, and I think it's the he's just not got the mentality. But if you spread this out, Origi's not getting any game time. Lukaku's looking really shorn of confidence because he seems to be he was so isolated in the derby. Um, is this a worry for Roberto Martinez and Thierry Henry? Oh no, for, I mean for sure because you can't go into a World Cup and just assume medicines and Hazard will basically get all of your goals because Belgium can win the World Cup one hundred percent. Oh, no, no. Belgium have the talent to win the World Cup. But for that to happen, their strikers have to contribute because you have your midfielders who can. These guys are goal-scoring midfielders. They can do all the creative stuff and all the dribbling stuff and the playmaking, but they can also score goals. I Hazard, Mertens, and De Bruyne. But if your strikers are actual strikers and actually score, then that's why I just think, like, for me... Out of those three, Origi is perhaps the most proficient and I think the most reliable to get him and then Batshuayi. So it's so funny. It's like the strikers who had the most focus or the Belgians was Lukaku and Benteke. 
But I think the guys who have been shown they're not really in the limelight, I think are actually the ones I would trust more to get the goals in Basuai and uh, Morigi. Isn't that interesting? Football players are better when you don't watch them every single day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Gawain, at Gawain69, nice, says, uh, since there is some talk about possibly playing Premier League games in non-British venues, such as the USA, do you think throwaway games at the end of the season should be the first ones to do so? So this is a long talk going on with the FA about how they should offer a 39th game at the end of the season, which will be played in the United States or being played in China, um, sort of spinning off from uh, preseason tours and friendlies. Uh, so I hope, one, where do you stand on Premier League games being played outside of the United Kingdom? Yes or no? No. Go on. There's there's no point to it. It becomes so much of a novelty. This isn't the Super Bowl. This is a proper football season that has rules and has traditions. Hey, 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 the Super Bowl is not played outside the United States. No, no, I, I know, but still, it's like, it's that kind of mindset of like, oh, there's a 39th game. Let's make it 40th, a 41st. Oh, let's actually make the 37th and the 38th on Pluto. The, it's it, There's a slippery slope that I, I see happening here. Look, let's just focus on the Premier League. It's the Premier League. Leave it as it is. It's a season which matters. It's 38 games. Not Don't bring any 39th, 40th novelty. Because it's a novelty. Nah, sorry, no. Strangely, I wouldn't... I wouldn't... I don't think Premier League games should be played uh, overseas. But I wouldn't mind a domestic competition being played overseas. I wouldn't mind the Carabao Cup being played in Thailand, for example. Because I know Carabao is a Thai drink. So... <laughs> If, oh, you, wanted to, well, okay. if yeah, you wanted yeah. to give me the Carabao Cup final from Thailand and then edit, but if you still edit UK friendly times, yeah, why not? It'll be a fun little novelty. Go on, have some fun. Uh, it's interesting to see what happens in the, the next step of football because obviously you've got NBA games and NFL games coming to the UK to try and break into the UK market. So that's American sports coming here. And you have friendlies now. So you have the Manchester Derby in as a preseason friendly being played in the United States. But will you ever see a Manchester Derby being played in Dallas? We'll see. Uh, I yeah. watched the MLS Cup over the weekend. I watched Josie Aldador score a goal in the MLS Cup and help Toronto FC defeat the Seattle Sounders. And man, I like giving MLS the time of day, but the quality was <laughs> quite poor. <laughs> All right, I've got three questions from the Hebrew Israel that we're gonna go. I'm gonna try and go through very quickly. Uh, he basically wants to know our thoughts. Um, can you analyze, analyze United's progression since Fergie retired? What do they need to become elite again? I think I think he asked to. I think he he got a word mixed up in that question. He he meant to say, can you analyze um, the regression after <laughs> Ferguson's the departure? So. The, 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 the regression is a case of people... It may sound crazy, but people actually underrate Ferguson. The guy is... is, is well, he's one of the best managers out there, but people don't really appreciate what he built with Manchester United. Because this is a guy that's built like four or five teams. <laughs> Ooh, so he didn't have like a he superstar built, he built team. Three or four good teams. Three or four great teams, I should say. That's still a lot. <laughs> Yeah, three or four really good. Well, literally, he made three or four great teams, and Wenger's made one, maybe two. No, so Wenger he... made one great team. No, no, Wenger had the Invincibles, and he had the Adams '97 one. 
which wasn't a great team. That was a very good team. It wasn't a great team. Okay, all right. The great enough. team was Invincibles. As in, you look at the class of 92, that's a great team. The Cristiano era, that's a great team. You know, the Eric... So basically, no, no. Yeah, so you have the Cantona era. Yeah, the that's a great you team. The, you have the Cantona era. You have the treble winning team. And yep. You have 2008. Yeah. Those are three great teams. <laughs> yeah. So that's an amazing achievement. Fergie left. Then what happened, in your opinion? Um... I'm trying to figure out Ferguson's thinking by I mean, giving the reins to Moyes. <laughs> because now, because there, there, there's a lot of conspiracy. Did he give it to Moyes genuinely because he's Scottish? He actually believed in him? Did he give it to him because he was like, nah, I know this guy is going to do an okay job, but he won't really supersede me. Because again, it's like there were a lot of other guys who really deserved it. So you're thinking yourself that was Moyes really the right guy for it? And I've always said this that Moyes had a bad rap. He he got he, he got a bad rap for that one season. Bear in mind, in 2013, when Moyes was hired, managers who were free and unattached included Ancelotti and Mourinho. And there you go. Moyes. I'm a United fan. If you ask me what happened to Manchester United after Ferguson left, the simple answer is they hired Moyes. So Moyes rips the spine of the team by overplaying the defence and not reinforcing the midfield and giving Rooney too large a contract. And then Van Gaal turned up. And Van Gaal, while he did win the FA Cup and help United finish fourth, he, one, sold a lot of talent that I would prefer to keep. And he bought a lot of talent which has turned out to be not quite good enough. Uh, and Van Gaal was very... Very bad. He, ba- he badly coached that United side. Yeah, no, 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 no. That was, was a, a rough p- period, man. That was a rough it was period. a rough period. They were very boring to watch. And I think Mourinho, I think Mourinho, I think football's passed Mourinho by, by a little bit. I think Mourinho's form of, I'm going to buy the best players in the world, play 4-2-3-1, have very tall players that are very good at set pieces and have one amazing number 10 isn't going to work anymore. I think now in the age of Klopp, Pochettino, and Pep Guardiola, you can't simply go out, buy the best players, and let them figure it out. You have to have a more coherent attacking system. And I don't here, 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 here. Yeah. However, that's not to say United can't be an effective team in Europe. Because I think, you know, on a one-on-one big game, Mourinho, especially in knockout competitions, on a one-on-one big game, Mourinho can probably still do it. You know, the Europa League run wasn't the best, but he got the job done. And I think... United, if they get a good draw, could probably get to the Champions League semi-finals quite easily. What do United need to get good again? They need to uh, get Paul Pogba more support and shift a lot of dead weight in the summer. I think in the summer, um, we, I mean, we know Luke Shaw's probably going to go. I think Chris Smalling isn't good enough. I think Phil Jones is too broken. And I think... Antonio Valencia is a great servant, but is not your first choice right back option. Mm-mm, no, no. I think you could probably redo the entire back four. De Gea is still going to be up in the air. I think as a midfield option, it's very interesting what's happened with Herrera. Herrera went from being a future captain to not being good at anything, really. So Herrera could probably go. Matic is quite old already. Uh, and then up front, Martial, Rashford and Lingard and Lukaku, some of those players are too similar. So what are you going to do there? Man United will come good. The problem is, if Pep Guardiola stays, chooses to stay at Manchester City, it's not going to be good enough. Hebrew Israel also asks, uh, why are Chelsea underperforming? I say the simple question is, 
there wasn't enough reinvestment and N'Golo Kante can't do everything. And he also asked one final question, are left-footed players more technically gifted than right-footed players? To that, I say no. I just think left-footed players are less common. So therefore, it's hard playing against a left-footer because you're used to playing right-footer so often that playing against somebody who's left-footed can cause your brain to short to like short circuit. Mm. Uh, and that's why, you know, you have the, the culture of the culture, the belief of the cultured left foot. It's just, it's, it's rare. Uh, if you ever play basketball or cricket or anything and you see a left-hander, because you're so used to playing against someone that's right-footed or right-handed, the very action of someone attacking you on the inside shoulder will take you by surprise because you're like, what? But they normally go that way. It's like, yeah, that's why. So yeah, left foot is not better naturally. They're just unique, rarer. Uh, the final question is a big question that comes just for you, Hope. Uh, uh -oh. Nicholas Ramos, he goes, hey, big fan from Colombia. How is it that Mr. Half Hope Hart can exclude Messi, Baggio and Cruyff from the list of GOAT because they don't have a World Cup medal, but he thinks Mourinho is a GOAT when he hasn't won any international trophy and his latest seasons have been utter failures. So, Mr. Hope, I think these are questions related to your horseman and your world-class terminology. Well, so the question is, one, is there a horseman section for coaches? No, no. The, the horseman only, only, only um, relates to players. Okay, all right. How can you can ex how can you exclude Messi, Baggio, and Cruyff from the list because they don't have World Cups? It's those are the rules. I don't make the rules. That's those just those are just the rules. You do make a... the rules. They they are literally your rules. Carl, can I answer the question? Thank you. You don't make the rules. I don't. I don't make the rules. rules. Those are just the, that's just the the way it is. Okay, like I don't make the sunrise and the sunsets. That's just how how it is. You need a World Cup medal to even be considered for a horseman that's that's the base thing but before anything else you need a world cup winner's medal that is the base requirements you need then from there we can then look at what have you achieved and how i mean how do you redefine the, the game what has been your impact on the game as an individual but we have to start at the world cup winner's medal that is Question. the first requirement mirror slap closer world cup mm -hmm. winner record world cup goal scorer mm -hmm. uh one of the best foxes in the box of all time mm-hmm one of the best headers of the ball of all time. In terms mm -hmm. of people who've headed the ball, it's like Cristiano Ronaldo, Pele, Alan Shearer, closer. Where would he stand in the horseman ranking? As good as what he did, especially for the World Cup, he just did not have the same kind of impact on the game as Beckenbauer, Maradona, Pele, Zidane, and Ronaldo. He, he, his impact wasn't as great as them, and he never really he didn't really affect the game in the global way that those players did. So, it's like, I, I keep reiterating it, Pele, as a flipping 17-year-old, scored two goals in a World Cup final, something that is extremely rare. Zezidane, we also where he almost, he single-handedly dragged the team in 2006 to a flipping final, and he also scored two goals in a World Cup final. Ronaldo, after a knee injury, which would cripple you, became the top scorer at 25 in a World Cup scoring the only goal in the semi-final and scoring the two winning goals in the final. Maradona, we see what he did in 86, and he literally single-handedly helped Napoli to win their only two league championships in their entire career. Beckenbauer, a guy who won the World Cup as a player, won the European Championship as a player, 
has won the World Cup as a manager and the European Championship as a player, as a manager as well, and also redefined how we viewed defenders. See, now that is what I call horsemen. Okay. Interesting thing there is, well, the interesting observation about your horsemen there is, the only player you've cited for club ability as well is Maradona. So everyone is in their World Cup merit, and then Maradona is there on World Cup merit, and what he did at Napoli. Oh no, 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 no! But I mean, I mean, like, let's basically, I, I forgot to mention. Basically, like, okay, if you want to mention that, even if for for Pele's club thing, uh, it's like okay, you scored all those goals, but still, it's like it's really what he did internationally. Zidane, you won the Champions League as a manager. You scored the greatest, one of the greatest goals of all time, and the greatest Champions League goal ever as a player in a final. Ronaldo, in my view one of the greatest seasons I've ever seen a player have was what he did for Barcelona and Inter Milan in those seasons. I've never seen a player have the kind of footballing season he had for both Inter Milan and for Barcelona. So... Oh, they have it. They have hope. Horseman. It's it's art. It's not a science. Yep. Um, and I think that's it. I think we went to, we tried doing something new. It ended up being something Yeah, man, this, this falls fresh. This falls fresh. Yep. Yeah, is there anything you want to say, Hope, before we wrap things up? Look, man, all I say is that I cannot bloody wait for the World Cup. I can't wait. It's too far away. Please don't be any hooligans in Russia. Russia, we love you. We love your woman as well. Don't kill people. Thank you. All right, Russian, uh, Russia, I want to say, you know, we're both black men. We love your women, but we don't love them too much, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, this is the Talking Tactics podcast. We do this every week. Have hope. Where can the people find you? You can find the kid obviously on YouTube, Half a Football Hot. My website, halfafootballhot.com. You can hit your boy on Twitter um, at Have Hope Hot. Great. And I am Carl Anker. You can find me on Twitter at Anchorman616. I might have something coming out soon about uh, fantasy football coming mm. next week. Um, hopefully, Dan will be back and recover from the flu. Uh, other than that, have a good week. Hope you have a really good week. Hope your football team wins, unless your football team is playing against my football team, and then I hope your football team loses. Oh. Um, so then this is the Talking Tactics podcast. Sometimes funny. Sometimes serious. Always football. football. All right. Peace. Stay black. Sports Social Podcast Network.